this is a trigger warning for what we're talking about in this episode, which like the episode of TV that we watched will include sexual violence, rape, and just general violence, racially and religiously motivated violence. So uh, keep yourself safe and uh, enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of Turkish TV Time. Today we're talking about The Club, episode 10, the season slash possibly series finale, although we're still unclear on that, but it certainly felt like an ending. And I'm really excited to talk about how they wrapped it all up, how they showed the pogrom, everything. I think we have a lot to talk about, and I think they did a really good job. I am not drinking any tea at the moment, but I might have spied Ezgi taking a sip of something. Yeah, I have half a cup of tea left. So for the next 30 seconds, I will have tea. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia, any tea over there? I have some coffee. Nice. Wow, Sammy, how's it feel? I mean, I have juice, but no one wants oh, okay. to have juice. That's not <laughs> juice. Like. A tea oh, because it's summer. Yeah. Nice. So he's like, what is this? What is this kitty bullshit juice? No, I, I mean, I love juice. We drink a lot of juice here. It's just like unexpected because you have to make it. I still dream of Lulo juice. Mm. Ooh, it's so good. Oh, it is really good. <laughs> I think you can find the frozen pulp in like, like in New York for sure. Hmm. I could look online maybe. Yes. So now I am going to take you through what happened in this episode and uh, feel free to interrupt me because I feel like it's, it was chaos. So who knows what I got down here. Okay. So first of all, we see kind of the nefarious preparations for the pogrom, um, which were really interesting because I think, I know that Ezgi had talked about before how there was some um, like strategic interference going on, but you know, I always think of these things as like an organic mob, but they really showed you like how people were in place to make sure this happened. Yep. So um, they're painting red X's marking the doors, I guess of the non-Muslim Turkish businesses. And then we see Bahtiar unloading a truck of uh, villagers, young men, um, and distributing sticks. And Ali Shakir is giving them a big speech to rile them up. And they're walking down Istiklal Avenue, I guess. And the we see the man they kind of focus in on one of the guys and he ends up being the person who threw the brick that we saw at the end of the last episode, almost hit Rochelle and then break through the window of one of the businesses. So that kind of uh, obviously sets off the whole thing. Um, so the pogrom starts, we see Rochelle just kind of panicking and not really doing anything, but just being like horrified, which come on, I understand. I'm not gonna blame her for that one. We see Ismet driving Pakize into a giant throng of people. And then he um, saves a guy and 
sees his father, realizes he's behind this and is like, I guess, martyrs himself kind of and is like, I am against you. And then they beat him up with sticks. And poor Pakize also gets beat up, <laughs> which I felt bad about. Um, we see a bunch of kind of black and white pictures, which I want to talk about later, whether they're those were historical pictures or whether they were they they were those were actual pictures. Okay, okay, that's the, the, very cool. the book the book that I did um, that I'm gonna <laughs> unfortunately traumatize everyone with the knowledge from later is uh, has has some of those images actually even the front cover um, was one of those so I was like okay. damn that's good yeah editing. that was really cool because it it kind of they transition this show into black and white and then they start doing the images and you can't really tell what's the show and what's real. So that was pretty cool. We see Matilda walking through the streets. She's trying to find Rochelle. Uh, Orhan, <laughs> Orhan goes to see his mom and uh, fucking Kushat is there. And he is like singing a lullaby with the mom, basically just, freaking Orhan out and letting him know that he knows his real name is Nico. But he, he's also singing Greek, which I the, interest, the interesting thing about, well, yeah, he was speaking Greek to her. So like, just because he's like a shady intelligence type figure, like clearly he's infiltrated other such <laughs> families before maybe, I don't know. Um, but the interesting thing about the song that he was singing, it's a, it, it falls under like Turkish classical music, Turk Sanat music is the genre. Uh, it's called Doktor Doktor. Um, and it was originally a Greek song that got Turkish lyrics. So he was oscillating between the oh, Greek and the Turkish wow. lyrics, which was okay. like, I don't know, another layer of fucked up going on there. Yeah, <laughs> that, thank you for pointing that out. That's very interesting. Um, Okay, then we see Batyar lock Tasula in a room and leave. We're going to return to this uh, plot later. Horrifying. Matilda makes it to the club, realizes Rochelle is not there, and she leaves Selim in charge, which is maybe the funniest thing that happens in this whole episode, um, and goes out to look for Rochelle. Orhan and Kurshat uh, have a confrontation. It escalates, Kurshat pearls out a gun, and then Orhan's mom smacks him in the head and knocks him out, and it's awesome. And I wish that we had just ended that storyline there. Um, so then Batyar, oh, this is, Batyar uh, basically tries to rape Tasula, and Tasula is able to fight him off, runs outside, of course, there's a pogrom riot going on outside. So she runs straight into the arms of some men who are gonna rape her. And instead of asking Batyar for help, which I thought was amazing, she's like, fuck you, dude. And she tricks everyone into thinking that he is also Greek and therefore he gets beaten to death. So yay for revenge. And then, yeah, she sacrifices herself obviously because she doesn't get out of that situation. But I don't know if what she's trying to do is what what he's trying to do is actually like in his own perverse way, try to protect her from the riot. That's why he's like locking her in the room. Right, right. That is what he's doing in his mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she decides she would rather he be killed than she be safe, quote unquote, in his manner. 
of speaking. Then Orhan strangles his mother to death. The end. <laughs> um, then we have Haji uh, finding the riot. I guess the riot is over or the pogrom is over for the night. And Haji stumbles on the alleyway that has both Tasula and Batyar. Batyar is dead. Um, Tasula is not. So Haji helps her, carries her into the club, which is very sweet. And um, Rochelle is like about to give birth in, in the middle of the pogrom. Matilda comes and gets her. We have a really interesting scene where Ismet finds her at the same time, at the same moment. And she chooses to go with Matilda, which it took her a while to choose, but I think she made the right decision. And uh, Orhan sets uh, his room on fire to burn the evidence, but also maybe to immolate himself. Unclear, I think, um, but it wasn't looking good for him at that point. And uh, Matilda and Rochelle finally make it to the club and they're banging on the door and the security guard, which I feel like this is something I've seen in other stories, um, doesn't wanna let them in because it's a whole horde of people and who knows if the, the people doing the riot are also gonna follow on their heels and then the whole club will you know, be destroyed. And then what Eski has been telling us is gonna happen <laughs> those entire time since the pilot actually happens. Chelevy has his hero moment and um, faces the gun and lets everybody into the club. So yay, Chelevy, I guess. Um, and uh, Selim also was quite brave in that situation. I do want to point out. Let's see. Then we kind of have the wrap up. Uh, Rochelle gives birth. Uh, Haji takes care of Tasula. Everyone has a birthday party and uh, everyone's having a great time. Matilda's brother shows up out of nowhere and is like, yo, wanna come to America? And Matilda's like, no, I have my found family here, which is very sweet. And Matilda and Rochelle seem to have come to a really nice place in their relationship as well. And then the show shows Ismet smoking a cigarette, walking down the sidewalk, and then he like just passes out from exhaustion and then it ends. So, but a lot of stuff, a lot of wrap ups and also some loose ends, which I can kind of see now how there could be another season. So looking forward to chatting about it. And with that, we will move straight into the gossip slash banter slash spilling Esgi's half drunk tea section. to start with I guess honestly I feel like the there's a lot of like plot reasons things that happen that seem unexpected like on the one hand Ismet not getting killed after that first scene where mm -hmm. he's like beaten really badly um Tasula also not getting killed yeah and like then it cuts and it seems like Haji left her to die but then mm -hmm. it turns out that he took her to the club yeah that was confusing to me I was really worried about that and then also like the fact that Matilda is like yelling Rachel on the street, like it's obvious that Rachel is not a Turkish name. I know. So 
how did no one like turn around to attack them Mm um and i yeah also like orhan's mom like miraculously killing or maiming this guy pushat i think killing his head was entirely like pouring blood out hell yeah (laughs) um but i mean i feel like obviously like that's the whole point to like like contextualize the characters in a historical scene but it seems to me like some of the things that happened were just like quite confused also that cheesy ending with the baby like narrating the scene and she's like even though my mother told me it was impossible that I would remember this I remember it it was like so like the context of everything going on is horrible and then like now they have this like happy scene with the baby yeah they were overcompensating for how like horrible of a of an event and how much of a stain it is in history being like well well look there was good people (laughs) yeah I mean to be honest guys like I like that I know they're pandering I really prefer happy ending so I was no that's true that's true I mean that's what I was thinking before watching I was like I hope it's not a really sad ending because like yeah I feel like Matilda's already had a pretty not fun life. Yeah. Um, but I'm still very confused as to how some of the things tie in with the plot. It's also interesting since you mentioned Matilda, how little this episode revolves around her. I mean, she's really yeah. like a very secondary character. Yeah. So I don't know if that's because like there's like the generational, like we're shifting generations or something like that, but. It was interesting. True. Also, the the voice given to like the baby was also kind of an odd. I think it was like a like a Titanic vibe. Yeah, she was like much older, like probably telling like her grandchildren about it, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It just felt odd though. And also, okay, I was very confused. Like, how did Tasula not know that Haji and Bakhtiar were siblings? thought she did she did why, why, why did she not no well because haji, haji haji says oh you would have really liked to meet my brother he was oh no like, that his name was, was bhaktia yeah, that's that was like the sweetest thing that happened in the whole episode <laughs> that yeah, was no, she knew basically haji saying like the brother i knew i left oh, to kill it and yeah. this one i uh, am not i don't care about yeah, it's figurative language oh, yeah Okay, I definitely did not catch that. I was very confused. <laughs> I really liked that. <laughs> it's unclear. I'm like not 100% sure if he's dead or not, though. Like he was breathing when. Oh, he uh, was? Found him. Yeah, he was like, his eyes were oh. kind of like fluttering. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. So that oh. he, is, he is like one of the loose ends at this point, mm-hmm. along with um, uh, what's his face on the mattress at the end? Ismith. Ismith, yeah. <laughs> that was very confusing. But also Ali Shakir just standing there and seeing his son like beat to a pulp. Well, he was... used to beat his son, so like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like even if he beat his son, like watching him get beat to death, it's like at least what the audience perceives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also that scene where Rachel has to choose between Ismet and her mom is bizarre. Like they're both yelling at her and she's just like, god i'm giving birth in the middle of the street <laughs> yeah i think it's was... meant to feel very chaotic i think that's the point because it's like total chaos at that moment like literally her body yeah. is trying to release the child and then <laughs> there's like a 
pogrom going on around her. No. I like I just, that though, because it was like she like even though Ismet came for her, she realized that she couldn't really yeah. live the lie of being ISL. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it ties in really closely with how she dumped him at the altar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, not at the altar, but kind of at the altar. And it's weird because I feel like Ismet is like one of those really toxic people that only cares about you and you don't care about them anymore. Like he was like treating her really shittily while they were together. And then he's just like, oh, whatever. Let me just, you know, now pine after you now that there's a riot and you're pregnant and you don't want to go with me. Yeah, I mean, they gave him his little like heroic moment where he was like, what are you assholes doing? But uh, I'm not sure that I bought it. He's pretty self-involved. Well, and he's never shown like any kind of, like he showed a lot of, I don't know what the proper word is, if it's like racism or I don't even know what it, anti-Semitism, I guess. Like he refuses to believe she's Jewish and his excuse is that like you lied to me, but like he keeps calling her ISIL. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, like he definitely has some internalized anti-Semitism, even if he's willing to risk his life on the street for this man. Mm-hmm. So, so Sammy, you believe that Orhan was going to burn himself alive in there? I thought he was going to run away and just burn the, his mother and, and Korshat. I mean, I kept waiting for him to like get up and walk out the door, but they didn't show us that. I mean, I think if there's a second season, I think, yeah, he walked out the door. <laughs> Yeah, because like, why would he kill his mother? Like, in that case, if you're just going to burn alive, just, well, I guess he wanted his mother to suffer less, but like everyone could just burn alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's kinder. I mean, (laughs) it's a pretty dark conversation, but I don't know. Mm, What else? Also, the subtitles are so weird because they say English when they're actually speaking Turkish. And then they say like Greek or other languages, which is very confusing. I was like, this is not English. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do we think that Chelebi and Matilda are going to end up together? Oh, yeah, probably. (laughs) Probably. They're like mom and dad of the club at this point. I just cannot believe this redemption arc. I hate it so much. (laughs) I mean, I I feel like the show has been pretty trivial about rape, kind of, Mm -hmm. like, Mm because there have been a good amount of rapes on the show. Yeah. And obviously, like, they're not framed as something good but they're like still not made to be like a big deal like yeah and Tasula is like the most raped I mean she's she's raped repeatedly in the show which is quite disturbing honestly like that how she how he how Haji finds her with like her shirt all ripped and she's like trembling I don't know that was like I mean I feel like Esgi will correct me but I feel like it's possible that there was rape involved in these scenes Mm -hmm. but it's quite yeah i have a whole trigger warning laden like set of statistics about that oh god (laughs) yeah sammy we can do a trigger warning at the start of the episode yeah 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 yes i agree with you sophia i think while i really liked the choice that tasula was able to make in this episode i think her character in general has pretty much existed only to be raped by male characters which is really a horrifying I think it's significant that she is she is Greek and like so many of the victims of the pogrom 
were Greek and Greek women were raped the most. Um, I, I mean, there's no like official statistics on it. I mean, but I mean, just to spoil my lovely history section a little bit, um, one hospital in, in within hours of the pogrom starting had 60 women come in for being raped. And that's only women who came in. Right. Like okay. imagine how many couldn't leave their houses or like, you know, wouldn't wouldn't come go to a doctor for that anyway um out of you know kind of the societal stigma and shame around that um so it's really horrifying to think about um and and they were at least that anecdote with the 60 women in one hospital within hours they were all greek orthodox um so Mm -hmm. tosula is kind of representing a whole community um i don't know if that was entirely intentional and i don't like that a character only exists to be assaulted but yeah but luckily by the time of the dinner party tasula is having a great time and she's fine right yeah that's also very not realistic like she doesn't even have the bruises on her face anymore yeah she's just like sitting there with like i don't know i don't know i feel like so many men (laughs) like just I don't know maybe that's a coping mechanism and that's you know mm-hmm. not unrealistic but I don't for me it was like very jarring to see her chit-chatting at the dinner table yeah yeah me too yeah it, it also seems really unrealistic that Chelebi like now will leave his like assaulting ways mm-hmm. yeah this is a man I mean, who hates women and loves power yeah. like clearly as <laughs> exhibited by his behavior yeah, I mean, my my note for the show would be to, it's okay if Chelebi is a jerk boss, and it's maybe yeah. even okay if he steals money from his employees. Yeah, let's not have him like raping women that he employs, no. and then try to redeem him. Yeah, I mean, I could even I could even get there with seeing him be reformed if he just like shoved employees and stuff like that too. Like yeah. not like not like full on like beating people to death, but you know like getting a little bit you know angry with the, the men especially um but like, yeah like as soon as you cross that line into rape it's like there's not I, you cannot be redeemed like <laughs> and at death of character at the end <laughs> in yeah. my book i also wanted to mention the red x's at the beginning i don't know if that was historically accurate as yes. but um yes. It's also the story of Passover, so that's pretty. Yeah, I was up. I was about to say that. That's very well, and Crystal Old Testament. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, but also I wonder, Esgi, does like do, does the pogrom have any ties to you know Crystal Knocked and all those you know pogroms? Well, of course, you're living in a you're there. It's um, I mean, it's ten years after, but you know, this is a world that has just gone through a massive kind of orgy of ethnic violence. Um, And Turkey by remaining neutral in World War II was really, I think shut off from like that release. I mean, I hate to say this, even use this phrase release valve, but I, Mm. you know, there was stuff brewing that could have been really horrible during World War II that was avoided, but then you've still got this pent up um racism anti-semitism anti i guess greek orthodox sentiment whatever um people i'm guessing largely agree like people might have been picking up like mind comp and being like yeah <laughs> like still you know and because the, they didn't live through they didn't see like as directly what nazism and fascism 
rot would rot on their society. Um, I, I will say though that a lot, I think I said this before, a, a lot of diplomat, Turkish diplomats were involved, especially in France in helping uh, Jews, European Jews flee to Turkey, flee Nazism, because they saw on the ground what was happening. Um, but I don't think the larger society could really understand that. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure it's all, you know, the 20th century is like, once once you get this plague of nationalism, like it, it kind of, it's still working its way through, obviously every, like in the US we see it, um, everywhere we see it. And it, it was it was bound to, it was bound to hit and rear its ugly head um, there too. I think especially with the added pressure of the Cold War and like those dynamics as well, because who were the first people that the government blamed after the pogrom? The communists, even though like mm -hmm. it's nothing to do with anything. There were just too many, too many things going on. Too many divisions were <laughs> drawn already in the 50s. Yeah, my, my question had to do with like, I mean, this is a very simple assumption because I don't know the whole context, but I feel like after World War II, like the atrocity of everything was just so overwhelming. I feel like finding out that something like the Holocaust happening, I think is pretty jarring. So yeah. I, I feel like it would be, I mean, I understand obviously because Turkey, you know, has a history of, of a lot of, you know, ethnic, how do you say that? Like, like a lot tension. of different ethnicities <laughs> yeah. living in the same place, Yeah, but also tension, obviously. Yeah. Um, and like, it's, it's been manifested in, in very different ways. And, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of incidents we could discuss, but I just think that it's kind of odd after like what World World War II was, or maybe this is like our 21st or yeah 21st century view of what we think people would feel after, you know, learning about the Holocaust. But that could just be like it can be just one of those things where you're like, oh wow, that's horrible. But when it's happening at your doorstep, you have a different vision of it. So also, I just like. Yeah, I mean, like for for sure, like the people participating in the pogrom would be like, if they can, it's very like it's very possible for a single individual to feel horrible and condemn what happened in one place, and then like you said, what's happening on their own mm -hmm. doorstep, be like, well, but they're not innocent, like the the Jews in Europe or whatever. Um, I mean, there's even cases again in the book I read that I'm gonna give more details from. There's even cases of Turkish Muslims telling all their friends, all their non-Muslim friends and neighbors to come hide in their house because they see what's happening. And then they would lock up their house after their friends were safe. After they had their friends protected, they would lock up their house, grab a club and start beating non-Muslim strangers on the street. Like they are simultaneously able to be like, I don't want my friend who was unfairly targeted by this violence to get hurt, but I'm going to go ahead and unfairly target people I don't know. Right. Right, um, right. But in their heads, it's not unfair because like apparently every non-Muslim they don't know is complicit in uh, bombing Atatürk's house. Uh, it's, it's really, it's insane. But um, I mean, even with Nazism, I think you hear so many contradictions about people like, mm -hmm. like during, they're just like, well, I didn't know, or I, I was just following orders. And then afterwards, you know, when they're on trial, <laughs> they're like, oh, wait, that was actually bad. I really regret it. Um, it just shows how easily I think anyone can be manipulated in yeah. the right circumstances. 
Very true. Yeah. I mean, it's all that cognitive dissonance, I think. Right. Exactly. Um, but it's crazy. Yeah. For me, it's, it's kind of hard to imagine that something like this would happen so little after the Holocaust. It's kind of like mind I wonder how many people like understood the scope of the Holocaust. I mean, even also still true. in different parts of the world, I don't think people quite, not everyone equally is exposed to it and understands mm -hmm. like Germany, definitely the highest level of exposure and understanding because their curriculum places such an emphasis on historical memory and, and kind of constant atonement. Um, US, I think, thanks to a, lar a larger Jewish minority does a decent job of like exposure. Um, but then like, you know, in Turkey, I've unfortunately encountered even relatives that minimized it and, you know, say like, oh, but did it really happen? Like they say, or is it proper? Like, it's unbelievable. But wow. um, in, especially in the 50s, like when there wouldn't really be time yet for so much pedagogy about it. Like right. I can definitely see people either not knowing or being like, oh, well, wasn't like, I don't know how bad it was. I heard something happened, but it was war. Like it's, you know, the, the fog of war, as they say, like maybe they just didn't, they couldn't grasp it. Um, but then on top of it, like you were saying, Sophia, the cognitive dissonance of, well, the ones here are not <laughs> innocent, um, which is bullshit, but. There also wasn't like the internet and stuff. Exactly. So I think, right. Yeah. And especially like you mentioned, I think in our previous episode that, a lot of the people who participated were brought in from rural areas. So possibly they might not even, you know, mm -hmm. know or yeah, have enough yeah, information exactly. about it. Exactly. All right. Should we move on into our very positive <laughs> history section? Yes. Yes, let's do it. Let's get it over with. <laughs> no, it's really important history to know. And I didn't know really anything about this until watching this show. And I think that's the experience of many viewers, even in Turkey. Um, so I, I'll try to, I'm, I'm going to basically recount this in the same order I read it. Again, the book is, the, the book that I'm taking all this information from is by a German scholar of Turkish heritage named Direk Güven, and uh, the book is just simply called The 6th and 7th September, The Events of 6th and 7th September, uh, referring to 6th and 7th September 1955. So it's everything started out with a radio broadcast just on like the government, like the one radio station basically uh, saying that Atatürk's birth house, which is house of birth, which is also um, I don't know if at the time, but certainly currently serves as the Turkish consulate in uh, Thessaloniki, Greece. Uh, it's so by, by virtue of that, it's like on Turkish soil technically, but it's within Greece. Um, at the time, I, again, I'm not sure if it was already a consulate, um, but there was a, an attack. Uh, I think some kind of a, an improvised bomb or something was thrown by largely unknown assailants there's a very there's a lot of evidence to suggest it was done by Turkish agents to provoke um, the 1955 pogrom but I don't I don't know for sure that and the book doesn't mention that provocateurs specifically did it so I don't think there's like super solid evidence but there's a strong suspicion that that was the case um, so news of that hit the radio waves at 1 p.m on 6 September and then uh, 
back in those days when the only source of information other than the radio was multiple editions of the newspaper each day, the afternoon editions came out um, with very, very hysterical articles about how Ataturk was basically directly attacked because the house he was born in was attacked and the Greeks did it. And by the way, this is somehow connected to Cyprus and, you know, all this, it was like a, a whole mishmash of different uh, sources of nationalist hysteria at the time. So it was really, really hitting on a few nerves all at once. So almost immediately after hearing the news, a club called the Cyprus's Turkish Club, which I was like, what a name for a club, um, <laughs> immediately organized a protest gathering in Taksim Square, um, advertises a peaceful demonstration in support of the Turks in Cyprus and support of Atatürk and support of Turkey in general, which very quickly escalated then into the mob moving, similar to the group of hoodlums um, in the club who immediately start roaming the streets, um, walking down Istiklal Street um, and start throwing stones at businesses um, owned by minorities. How did they know what to throw stones at, those exes? So in, in real life, um, even in the weeks leading up to uh, the 6th and 7th of September, people would wake up to have their homes graffitied with things like non, non-Turk or, um, you know, just writing like the Greek, like, or, or just like an X, you know, just something or, or a cross, something signifying that they or their, sh their business was owned by a non-Muslim. Um, and they would paint over it. And the next morning they'd wake up a new, a new graffiti would have appeared. So that was already happening. It wasn't, I mean, I'm sure some of it happened right on the same day, but it was also happening long in advance in some, um, in some neighborhoods. So anyway, they started throwing stones and this is all around Istiklal talks in that area quickly spread across the rest of Beyoğlu. Uh, onto Kurtuluş Street, into Şişli, into Nishantaşı, and then uh, from there all the way to the islands, Adalar, uh, where there's a actually at the time a majority Greek population. Um, and then uh, on the other side of Istanbul, the, the Asian side of Istanbul. So it was everywhere. About 100,000 people are thought to have taken place, thought to have taken part in the pogrom, actively attacking uh, businesses and homes and people. One, one actually many Turkish, Greek or Turkish Jewish or you know minorities, uh, minority individuals in the book I read recounted to the author that they had been warned by other you know other shopkeepers who happened to be Muslim or people who had just like neighbors who had just heard that something was going on. They'd been warned to close up and go home, so that was life saving for many. Um, there's also stories of uh, Muslim again friends and neighbors standing guard at like the entrance of a of a neighborhood or a city block and saying no there's no there's no one that would interest you here like basically lying that there weren't minorities um they would have people hid folks in their homes uh, or stood guard with turkish flags in front of houses that they knew had minorities living in them so the rioters because the rioters were like at this point, they were kind of like a hive mind, like not really like one individual wasn't really thinking. It was like mob mentality. So as soon as they saw symbols of Turkishness, quote unquote, they would steer, veer away from 
a particular location or person. Um, one disturbing story is uh, actually a man who was Muslim who in the confusion similar to Bahtiyar was kind of the crowd turned on him even though he was Muslim and he actually dropped his pants to show that he was circumcised um, because he was like I'm not I'm not Greek I'm not Christian and that's how he saved his own life it's like super fucked up like again and, and I think the show does a really good job of showing the crowd turning on Bahtiyar because it shows how fake all these distinctions are like this like you can't tell it's bullshit like yeah, you're all yeah. <laughs> you're all the same so anyway uh, that was kind of jarring to read that it's something like that or many things like that I'm sure happened in real life um the author of the book that I read thinks that only about 30 people were involved in actually organizing um or provoking uh so they were scattered around strategic points you know neighborhoods with large minority populations they placed again strategically piles of stones similar to in the show like they would deposit like rods and bats and things um like huge amounts of them unusual amounts to just have randomly showing up but they would show up in what they deemed to be important parts of town um public transportation was actually working and it shuttled people between kind of these key neighborhoods so it was altered but it was like working the police um so the higher level police were aware of were aware to not intervene unless it was on the behalf of Muslims. Um, many kind of stood by silently or actually participated themselves. Those who wanted to actually kind of protect people and didn't were like low level enough to not know that this was kind of a conspiracy were locked in the police stations. They were told to spend the night there and that they couldn't go anywhere. So there was a well-armed, well-trained police force of about 1,500 officers that essentially were either immobilized by their superiors or like, you know, chose to be again, bystanders or active participants. Um, they could have based on kind of the amount of firepower they had and everything, they could have, even though it was 100,000 people, like they could have managed that um, with their training and their firepower, but they were actively told to not. Um, and actually the, in the aftermath, the minister of the, uh, I think the interior, yeah, resigned due to the incompetence of the police force. So that, that was immediately kind of scapegoated um, onto the minister of the interior, even though, Clearly this was all like extremely orchestrated. Um, let me see what else. Oh, the, the, all the clothing strewn on Istikdajatis in the show uh, was, that was truly what it looked like because um, there were so many kind of clothing stores and also like people's apartments and stuff. So interestingly in the first hours of the pogrom, when the provocateurs, you know, that 20 to 30 person group of people encouraging average citizens to take up arms. Um, they were very careful about telling folks, you don't kill anyone and you don't steal anything. You're just here to kind of wreck businesses and make these people like be afraid of us or like be afraid of betraying Turkey or we you know whatever language they were using. Um, but it quickly, obviously once you get a hundred thousand people involved and you have this mob mentality, people were killed. 10 to 15, the number's not super clear because it was like, the, again, the government reporting it. So it's not really super pinned down. Um, but yeah, you had, you had around, you know, let's say 15 people killed and then hundreds 
injured, some very, very serious injuries. The damage is really staggering, monetary damage. So let me find that note so I don't completely make it up. I have so many notes, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, so likely, so what was officially reported as damage was 150 million Turkish liras, um, at the time, 150 million. Uh, this is in 1955 US dollars, 54 million, um, which is now, I don't know, like a lot more than 54 million US dollars. Um, but later scholarly analysis, kind of looking at photographs, listening to firsthand accounts, um, the, the, the author of the book I read estimates it to be possibly as much as 1 billion Turkish liras, so 10 times more than what was officially reported, um, which is, again, kind of just an insane amount of self-inflicted damage for a developing economy. Like, what, like it's just so bad and wrong and stupid on so many levels. The, oh, sorry, the official count of injuries was, three, depending on, again, what government agency or even what kind of international bodies reporting the number. The estimates are as low as 300 and as high as 600 for for injuries. Um, but honestly, it's probably even higher than 600 because how many people were able to get to hospitals and report things. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there were dozens of reported instances of rape, especially Greek Orthodox women hiding in their homes. So homes were broken into and they were the first targets. Um, let's see, in the, oh, also um, in Izmir, again, home to a large minority population, um, there were also attacks on churches and even the, the Greek consulate there was actually burned. Uh, I don't know if it was fully to the ground, but to, to the point where they needed a new building, which was quite scandalous because Greece is technically an ally at this time was also technically an ally of Turkey through NATO but there were Turkish citizens attacking their consulate also attacking some of the NATO buildings uh, basically anywhere where a Greek flag was flying <laughs> even the Izmir International Fair which happens every year in September was attacked because they had like an international pavilion with flags of many countries flying, including Greece's. And that was actually one of the first places in the afternoon when the news came out about the Atatürk house bombing um, that was attacked. So the government there actually, like the Turkish government actually sent their um, transportation minister, who was also a, a member of parliament from Izmir. Um, he actually had to head up and show up at a really kind of formal uh, reparation ceremony that I mean I say reparations in quote but it was it was uh, in I think October 1955 and the city gov the city government and this minister handed over the keys to a new building for the Greek consulate so that you know there wouldn't be anything kind of bad happening with with NATO relations and there were a bunch of like NATO dignitaries invited and generals and stuff so they kind of made I, I think it certainly spiraled out of control from what the original conspirators wanted like I don't think they wanted NATO facilities attacked or like for other governments facilities attacked um, so there was a little bit of cleanup afterwards all in all it's estimated in Istanbul that more than 5,000 300 locations were attacked, most of them being homes, um, and the rest being businesses, schools, and places of worship. 
Um, the government, of course, immediately, you know, condemned everything, said that real Turks wouldn't do this. It's the communists, this and that. Um, they started a, this really gets me because the government still does stuff like this today. Like if there's a natural disaster, they don't just like take taxpayer money to pay for like earthquake repairs, like, I don't know, a functioning government should. Um, and they, they instead start a fundraising campaign. And they did the exact same thing in 1955. They started a fundraising campaign. And some of the top donors who were pressured into giving money were minority-owned corporations, uh, which is just like layers of mess oh up. Oh my god. <laughs> that is um, so messed up. With the money that was collected, they had this extremely, as you can imagine, bureaucratic and convoluted process for being awarded um, funds to rebuild your business or your home or your school or whatever was whatever in your life was impacted by the pogrom. Um, there were only like in the first month or so of the um, application existing, only seven people were approved to get any kind of money. And that money amounted to only like 10,000 liras total amongst those seven people when probably each of them had tens of thousands of damage each. By the end of, let's see, 1957, um, about 70 million liras worth of applications were received and accepted by the government, meaning like they said, yes, we're gonna pay this. Um, but they'd only actually paid out about six and a half million, so a tenth um, of what they said they would pay. It's, the book was not clear on whether eventually more was paid out, but you know, if you think about if your business is wrecked, you're not just going to be twiddling your thumbs waiting for to reopen the same business for two years. Like you're probably like financially ruined at that point um, because you haven't been able to reopen. Um, so really the whole fundraising effort, it raised uh, tens of millions of lira, but like, did it really help anyone? Like, it's, it seems like not really. Most people, like the vast majority of payouts that were received were less than 5,000 lira. Um, so very small amount of damages paid out. Also, as far as I could tell, no official apology was issued. It was again, like blaming different parties for it. And then eventually to the point of, again, the 1960 coup and execution of Adnan Menderes, who was the prime minister at the time of the pogrom. And part of the reason he was hanged per kind of the official conviction was this pogrom and being behind it, uh, which I don't know, like if he was directly behind it, um, but like they scapegoated him and that was I guess politically advantageous to scapegoat someone um, especially with international relations and um, again NATO being being in the U.S.'s good graces um, yeah I mean more can definitely be said but it was horrible and it's really kind of a forgotten episode in history um, still and I don't know, the complexity of it kind of being at the start of the Cold War. Um, and I think, you know, the, the West really needing Turkey to be on board um, because this big bad boogeyman of the USSR was right there. And I guess, I mean, overall, like a general attitude probably across the world of contempt for minorities. I mean, look at the US in the 1950s, also not a great example. Um, so 
yeah, I think the historical context is really complex. I think it, it kind of harkens back again to like anyone can be convinced to do evil things and it really doesn't take that much. Uh, it's really, and that's really scary. Um, so yeah, overall, very shameful, very sad. Um, and people still don't know about it. I think people would still minimize it, but it, it's really like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to Turkey in a few months and I'm just like, like this is just so, so messed up to envision something like this happening on streets that all three of us have been on um, several times in our lives. So anyway, that is the history section. Hope everyone's in a good mood now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing all of that research, Eski. That was amazing. We have to pick a happy show after this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> So now we're going to move on into our favorite and final section, which is WTF, Sultan of Success, and Fatima's hit list. So WTF, um, I have some really stupid ones. <laughs> uh, first of all, the newspapers that they were handing out were so thin. I don't know if like old timey newspapers were smaller than today's newspapers. I mean, if it's like, again, if they're doing like three editions a day, maybe if it's like all new True. content and it's like, you know, in an era where there's not infinite scrolling possible. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> I had a what the fuck about how much fabric was in the street, but you answered mm -hmm. that in your history section. So I'm yeah. taking it back. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of a what the fuck to the trope of a woman giving birth in some sort of traumatic situation that they shouldn't be in. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm giving birth. Oh, shit. That's just like kind of an annoying trope. But yeah, I think we could, it was clearly coming for the whole show. So we can, yeah. them. but also like, oh, I mean, obviously I'm not a doctor and I've never had a child. So I may be wrong, but. I feel like when you're doing, like, when you're in labor with your first child, like, it's probably not going to be immediate. Like, people usually take a really long time. Yeah. So I hear. <laughs> um, and then finally, uh, Matilda's brother, where was he hanging out this whole time? He just kind of pops in. At the I, I have the He's same like, WTF. Okay. Yeah. And, like, literally... <laughs> there's so much violence right outside like where you and inside? nobody knows you it's not like you work at this club so how did you get in here yeah, yeah. but I mean sucks. we we did have the well the question of like how like how he was going to be able to escape since he was a fugitive um True. And so he's got some skills anyway I'm still pretty upset but also someone seems to lead him into the room so I don't know if like someone was helping him yeah, I guess somebody was. I mean, he's somebody just like, there. he's just running an international spy ring. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still very angry that they left Matilda as an 18-year-old all alone with no money and no nothing. But like, still not possess the ability to like find her later. <laughs> it's a good, yeah, you should stay angry about that, Sophia, because the show wants us to forget that that happened. <laughs> the two unforgivable angry. sins of the show, Chedebi's arc and... 
like Matilda just being abandoned until when convenient. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also having characters that are there just to have Be violence right. thrust upon them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We haven't yet found an unproblematic show in doing this podcast, I think, is the moral of the story. <laughs> Black Body Love! I don't think oh unproblematic been- shows exist, though. That's true. Oh, no, I take it back. Actually, there's like a whole Stockholm Syndrome. Romance. Yeah, I was going to say there's no way like a network <laughs> Turkish drama is unproblematic. <laughs> uh, what other what the fucks do you guys have? I had what the fucks, but they were all resolved during the episode. Like one, how did Kurshad speak Greek was my one question. Um, but apparently the song is originally Greek, so that would make sense that he would know it. But he was also like speaking in full Greek sentences yeah. to the mom, but I think like, yeah, he's like a shady intelligence type of person. So that doesn't surprise me. And he's been like clearly on the case of ruining lives, the mi- minorities' lives for decades. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's his calling. Yes. <laughs> I'm also very confused about that virgin, um, Orthodox virgin painting on the wall. Like, is that a painting? Is that like a print? A is that? I think it's a fresco. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, on the wall. But why yeah. would they have a fresco? Like, who painted it? why is it there i think it's like a family (laughs) altar i think like they just like what the show is telling us is that they would have an altar like an idol to pray to in every home but i don't don't know if that's true but yeah i would assume it would be true because why would you make that up no 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 that makes sense but what doesn't make sense is like why it would be a fresco rather than a painting or some sort of like image frescoes i feel like are hard to do so maybe like it's a prestige thing versus like a framed thing that anyone can, i don't know <laughs> it looks cooler for sure yeah. yeah but was i have a big question like was orhan nico's family rich before they I think pretended so. to be yeah i think they, that's why they that's why they had the whole ruse going because they didn't want to give up like probably generational wealth honestly with the size of the house <laughs> that orhan's living in also, like Orhan was very unsuccessful business-wise himself, so that infinite money had to be coming from <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. Okay, Sultan of success. No, oh, wow. <laughs> Chelebi for successfully redeeming himself. Yeah, and he got like major props from his childhood crush, who he's still in love with. So. It's true. Although I really don't want to award it to him in the last episode. I, I would also throw out Matilda's brother just because like mm. how did he do everything? <laughs> Mad skills. Yeah. But also Rachel, because she finally oh, true. got free of right Smith. Yeah. Yeah. After That's a like good one. Yeah. She, after like flailing around the same city block for like the entire episode. <laughs> she literally flailed in place for like six hours before she was or (laughs) or the baby the baby yeah baby sounds like she had a great time i'm like i just so can we just talk about my what go back to wtfs like how are they gonna do more seasons for this potentially because like you think this is bad like just like stuff gets even worse in turkey like in the 60s and 70s and 80s and that stuff is like more recent and probably even more controversial so like how are they gonna even do that also like almost all the minorities left after the pogrom so like what's again what's the story gonna be 
<laughs> I yeah, it feels like something that they should leave as is. Yeah. They do have a lot of really compelling characters, so I understand why they want to keep going. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I I guess I, I feel like same same way with uh Fatima, like I'm good with it being over. Um but it seems like both are gonna come back. <laughs> yeah. Fatima's hit list. I mean, what's Trushette's dead, so she doesn't really have to do anything there. Uh, Ali Shaker. Oh, yeah. Good yeah, one. Ali Shaker for sure, I think. Everyone who participated. In the yeah, everyone who participated. <laughs> and the guy who threw the first... Okay, also, yeah, my what the fuck, I forgot to say that. Like, at first, when they're all stepping on that brick that's loose. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Like, oh, my God, there's going to be, like, I don't know, a gun or something underneath. <laughs> <laughs> the brick Very was treasure. the weapon itself. I don't it's know. Like I an escape that was room like... when you remove the brick. A trap yeah, door. I mean they missed so much focus on the brick, like the yeah, lady breaks her heel much. on the brick. Too yeah. much. Yeah. I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good, like suspense. So like, clearly this is important. What's gonna? I, like I I had forgotten actually what the importance was in in the second viewing, and I thought the lady who broke her heel was like maybe Rashad or Tosula, like so they would mm-hmm. that would like hinder their ability to navigate. Um, but it was like literally the first stone thrown according to the show's retelling. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. So congratulations to uh, Rochelle's baby. Seems like you <laughs> have a great time and you uh, didn't have to remember the events of this episode. So I guess you're doing great, except for a fun family dinner. Um, <laughs> Watch out to everyone who participated in the horrific violence we saw this episode, especially Ali Shaker, you suck. And uh, thank you all so much for listening. Stay tuned next week for a bonus episode where we talk about what show we're going to watch next. Thank you all again, and we'll talk to you guys next time.